Hi, this is Alan Holcomb. Welcome to the Consume Church Weekly Podcast. We hope that you enjoy this message, Becoming a Charismatic People. For any information on the ministries of Consume Church, you can check us out at theconsumechurch.com. to be in this house. I was just thinking this morning how much word has come forth this year. <laughs> we had Michael Berdour, we had the Arnots here, we had Patricia and John, of course John leading us through some really important stuff to believe about the end times. And this has been tremendous. I'm, there's no other place I'd rather be, you know, that, than in this flow and where God has us in this season. It's, it's just be something we could be grateful for. It's just a, a wellspring of, of things that the Lord is, is doing in us. And as John said, I'm hardwired to be a teacher. So years ago, there was a pop song. The line said, a hater's going to hate. Well, my line is, uh, teachers are going to teach. So I don't know if that pop song is true or not, but... Uh, whenever you get me, you get teaching. And uh, my title today is Becoming a Charismatic People. So already I've got some explaining to do. I gave you a little hint right there, a people of proclamation. <clears throat> so I hope you're taking notes. It was a joy to me to see people taking notes even during worship, just jotting down things that the Lord is saying to them. That's that's just such, such a joy for me to see, uh, just people jur- journaling and recording things that God is speaking to them in their life. And so before I get into it, I just want to give the Lord space in this. Father, we just invite you once again. We thank you for your precious, your just precious presence with us in the faces of the children this morning and just our pouring out of our love for you in worship. And we just ask that you just continue, Lord, that presence among us to speak what you want to speak, Lord. Uh, um, I don't want to chase anything or any thought that's not of you this morning. So we just invite you just to continue in this flow. Well, Jesus synthesized all of the law into two commandments. And it's really one commandment because it has two parts that are interconnected. And uh, the epistle of John, the first epistle of John, kind of spells that out for us, that you cannot love God and not love your neighbor. And if you're loving your neighbor uh, and not loving God, it's not a true love either. So we see that the two are com- combined. So it's really one commandment with two parts, isn't it? And it, it completes all of the law, and it also allows us to engage with a new law, which we see in Romans is called the law of the Spirit, which says that, that the understanding and wisdom of how to live and how to move is motivated by a love that comes from within rather than a rule or an obligation that comes from the exterior. So this great commandment is the fuel, is the driver, uh, the jet fuel, so to speak, for what we call the Great Commission. And if you want to turn there, that's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19. Very well-known passage, one of the last commands of Christ to his disciples, that all authority, power and authority has been given unto me. We know that that's dunamis and exousia. So one is the right 
the authority, and the other one is the dunamis, the actual power to do it. So he's like the big strong man with the power, but he's also the little guy with the striped shirt on that's the referee. He has the authority to stop all these big guys on a field with just one whistle. So he is the big strong guy, but he also, with one word, can silence his enemy because he has the authority. And he says, because I've been given all of this, I give it to you. And it says, therefore, go build churches and send out postcards to invite people to church. <laughs> right? <clears throat> no. <clears throat> go, therefore, and what? Make, make just a couple disciples, you know, if you get around to it every few years, you know. Uh, have a discipleship class. Just a couple people. And I said, make disciples, but how many? Of all nations. Of all nations. And if you've done a word study of the Great Commission before, and I've heard, I'm sure you've heard teaching on this passage before, in the English language, the go, therefore, is not the imperative in the Greek. The only mandate, the only instruction in that verse is the making of disciples. The making of disciples. And uh, when I first uh, was asked to teach, I, I didn't realize we were going to be praying over students as a this morning, but making disciples is essentially making students. So all of these are in class, but they will never stop being in class with Jesus, and we are all students as well. So making disciples is making students, making followers. But as we are going, so you carry the authority and the power of Jesus himself, we have purpose and we have a commission. Now, God has been revealing to us in this time that it's because something has been inaugurated, something has been enacted, something that not only endures, but it's reappropriating what is lost. See, we've read this passage of the Great Commission for years, and what did we do with it? We made it a program. And we made it very limited to what that discipleship was in the first place. But understanding discipleship in the context of all God is saying and revealing to his people today about the kingdom, I think is really important. And that's what God put on my heart to do this morning. He said, where we're going with all this? Where are we going with this inaugurated kingdom? Is it just to have a good time in his presence here like we did today? No, it goes somewhere. It, it goes and flows through this mandate that he gave us. So, kerygma. So, I want to put up on the screen a 30,000-foot view of discipleship. Go ahead. So, according to the Bible, this is what discipleship is. The word mathetio is the word it's using here in Matthew chapter 28. Make disciples. This, that, that is the beginning to the end, complete work of becoming and continuing and fulfilling your life here on planet Earth as a disciple. That's what that means. <clears throat> but through examples in the word, through the book of Acts, through even Jesus' work with his disciples, we say, see a minimum of three phases in this, which is winning, establishing, and training. Winning, establishing, and training. That's not how we've operated as a church in discipleship. We split winning off, and we called it evangelism, and that was usually far away in another country, 
if we did do an outreach here and there, that was very disjointed from discipleship. Right? Was it that way for you? So evangelism had its own thing. And then later, maybe we had a class on discipleship. And after 12 weeks, you got your diploma. Congratulations, you're a disciple. Is that what discipleship was supposed to be? All right, so let's look at some of these. Uh, The win. Within win, we see this Caruso. Um, Let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. And verse 27. So Caruso, the proclamation part, and the witness is Martireo. Matthew 10, 27. When do you guys have that? My pad is booting up here. Matthew 10, 27. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And then it says, and do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Which doesn't sound too positive there. (laughs) But it's... In that one verse, what I love about it it is bringing these two aspects of this initial phase of of discipleship uh, into view. It's saying, okay, you guys have been given all this teaching by you. He's talking to the disciples. What you've heard and what you've experienced, proclaim on the housetops. Do not be afraid to proclaim it. And then the witnessing part, the martyreo, is this boldness to proclaim, even if it means suffering for it. Okay? So both of those are related. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, go through some of these words one by one. Matheteo. That, that one's easy to remember because the Great Commission comes from one book, Matthew. So Matheteo is discipleship. To make a, dis, a student of Go, therefore, and make disciples. It's the winning. A few weeks ago, uh, Matthew was relaying something Zoe had said. Dad, where's all the disciples? What happened to the disciples? I love that. (laughs) Out of the mouth of babes, right? Good question. You can't make a disciple if you're not a disciple. And I I think... uh, all that we have, the track we've been on, on the infilling and the indwelling and walking in this pneumatic life, that's our discipleship process. So you, you can't make something that you aren't yourself. <clears throat> and we will continue to be disciples for the rest of our life. <clears throat> but in this winning phase, it's, it doesn't stay with us, does it? That's got to go somewhere. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I, I wish I could read all of it, but Paul says, to the weak I became weak to win. There's that word, win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. In another place, he said that the love of Christ controlled him, it constrained him. I've been married uh, 22 years to a very loving wife. How many of you experienced the love of a partner or a family member? We've all experienced it. And despite all the love and respect that I have experienced with my wife, there is one who loves me still greater. How many of you have experienced that love? And we're all about finding that encounter and inviting other people to come into that encounter 
Well, they will experience a love that they've never experienced before. And they will never be the same. Well, be, becoming charismatic means that the love of Christ has so overtaken you that you cannot help but speak. You, can, you cannot help but share that with someone else. And Paul, listen to his heart. He said, I'm willing to go to those that I'm most uncomfortable with. That those that are offended by the law, well, I can put down my Jewish traditions for them, and I can go to those that are strict and dogmatic about the law, and I can practice that alongside them without being bound to the law. If, if you have a chance, go back and read 1 Corinthians 9 from about 16. He explains this. That I'm, I'm not under this law, but I'm willing, I'm willing to practice it in order to win some. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to put myself in their shoes so that they might come to know the love that I've experienced. All right, let's uh, go to the establish. A good example is this, 1 Peter 2.2, where it says to leave behind certain sins. And then in verse 2, he says, like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. So we have scriptures uh, uh, comparing new believers to babies who need milk and who need uh, just that initial experience of learning relationship with their father that they've never had before in order that they may discover how the dynamic of that relationship works. And they grow in that, and they read the word. Uh, they begin to absorb the truth of who Christ is in them. That's the establishing phase. You know? and, and that doesn't come uh, through a classroom setting. I mean, that might help somewhat. <laughs> uh, but in the commandment of Christ to go and make disciples, his intention was that their life would bubble over, would become a contagion among others that were also being drawn into the love of God. Does that make sense? Are we tracking with me? All right. Train is from Ephesians 4.13, where Paul says, until we reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay? So there may be many of us that are in that, and it overlaps with the establishing. But at some point in our life, we want to be seeking that image of Christ in our life, and that is our sole goal in life. And we leave behind the elemental principles. We don't have to be taught, you know, some of the basic things about leaving uh, sin behind. Like Hebrews chapter 12 says, leaving those things that keep stumbling us and uh, our barriers in our spiritual life. We have come to know him in such a way uh, that that be becomes who we are. Uh, I think it was a couple of years ago I had the chance to sit down with a pastor who was well in his 80s and had been in ministry for over 60 years. And I asked him, you know, what, can, what drives you and, and, and gives you that diligence to continue in ministry and patience and all that? He said, well, to tell you the truth, it's just that Jesus is more real to me than you sitting there across the table. And he says, I, I, I really don't feel like I have a choice because he's just so real to me. And I was just blown, blown back by that because they, that is a longing for my heart as well to know him in such that, in that type of dynamic where it's not only encounters, but it's an ongoing vision of who he is as real as another person. So in our, in our training phase... That's what we are training for. 
to, be, to become like him and to experience him. We talk a lot about the oneness. So that, that is our destiny, is be, to become one with him in all that we do. So this is just a snapshot. Um, the Caruso is Matthew 4.23. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So the proclamation we see in the context of the gospel of the kingdom is very unlike the evangelism that we have often practiced in the church because he was not there to to make a decision. He was there to transform their entire life, right? And we've talked about his... His manifesto, when he stood up uh, in Luke chapter 4 and gave his manifesto from Isaiah 61, that was his purpose, to, re, to bring back the captives, to restore those that had been afflicted. And so everywhere he went, he had this genuine uh, heart of rescue for every person. So his proclamation of the kingdom was not about a, a rational decision that they make or a change of value system or a change of morality, a change of behavior. It was, like, buddy, <laughs> everything about your life is about to change right now. You're, you're going to see an impact in your entire family. Uh, and this is what he was proclaiming in that word that it uses, the proclamation is the Caruso. It's to be a herald. It's to officiate a herald. It's to proclaim after the manner of a herald, always with the suggestion and gravity and authority, which must be listened to. It's that kind of good news. It's when we've not only heard it, we've not only heard good news, you become it. You become good news. That's what the gospel of the kingdom is. Wherever I go, I am good news. I am good news. I don't just have a message of good news. I am good news. To publish, proclaim openly something which has been done and used of the public. Proclamation of the gospel and matters pertaining to it, especially made by John the Baptist, by Jesus, the apostles, and other teachers as well. So we've been passed on this same proclamation. It's, it's a proclamation of inauguration, but where it first manifests is in me, in the messenger himself. You want to see a disciple is right here, right? And that exudes. <clears throat> and as we've said, the martyreo is from Acts 1a. You will be my witnesses. It doesn't just mean... Uh, to be a martyr, but it's about being a testimony. And we've often said, well, that's just sharing how you came to Christ. No, that's not what he's talking about. To be a testimony means to proclaim the goodness of God. Proclaim what he has been to you. I'm a witness. I've been there. I've witnessed what he has done in me. Uh, we were praying yesterday, and it just flooded me again that his goodness isn't just because he's perfect. His goodness is because he takes what's imperfect and makes it perfect. That's why he's good, that he's just so overwhelmed and defines what love is that he looks for wherever there's the darkest thing and makes it light. That's what makes him good. It's not because he is separate and whole and apart. Yes, yes, he is all that. But what makes him good is that he's reaching into what is most imperfect to make it perfect again. And he did that in me. And that's what I desire to proclaim from the housetop, regardless of the consequence. That's the martyreo. It's not some elaborate testimony. I don't have that one. I don't, I don't have that history of a drug addict. I was raised a Southern Baptist, you know, ooh, that's exciting, you know. <laughs> Many of you guys say, yeah, well, I was right there with you, brother. <laughs> I was sitting in that pew as well. <clears throat> but I don't have that elaborate, you know, taken to prison five times, you know, <laughs> stabbed to death, came back to life. I don't have that. But that's not what my testimony is. 
My testimony is what he's done in me. And the God that I've experienced, the Father that I have come to know. Kerygma is the infinitive form of Caruso. So it means to proclaim. So Caruso is the proclaiming. Uh, Kerygma is to proclaim. So when I say charismatic, I mean we are a people of proclamation. We are not a silent separatist group. We are not monastics. We are not isolated in a bubble of Christianity. Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. It controls me. And if you read that context, that comes from, if you want to jot it down, 2 Corinthians 5. The love of Christ compels me. In the context of that verse, he was saying, I can no longer live for myself. I just can't do it. I've experienced too much of the love of Christ. I can't live to myself anymore. I've been bought with a price. So let me say this again. The incredible reality of the love of the Father being expressed in the Son, poured into us like oil of the Holy Spirit, absolutely overtakes our emotions, our thoughts, uh, our motives, our actions, and our speech. That's what it means to be charismatic. That's what it means to be charismatic. So I'm not talking about single-serve coffee. Although that would translate pretty well in our context, be the caffeine of the world. We're here to wake up the world, but not Keurig, we're charismatic. Yeah. <clears throat> but I, I think that does translate, you know, Jesus probably wouldn't say salt of the world, he would say coffee of the world today, so, because it's what wakes us up. <clears throat> you are the coffee of the world. So we talk a lot about being pneumatic, controlled by the Holy Spirit, but pneumatic, if it stays pneumatic, Without being charismatic, then it hasn't gone far enough. It hasn't experienced enough of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Right? He doesn't want you to keep that. Even to the promise to Abraham, you are blessed to do what? Be a blessing. We have that same covenant upon us, working through Jesus Christ. That we are blessed in him. We've received every spiritual blessing to do what? Be a blessing, to be a blessing. And uh, this message is for me because I I don't feel as charismatic as I should be. Being a teacher, you know, I I can kind of beat myself up for not being evangelistic. But that's not what it's about. It's it's about being a, a people so soaked up with him, so abiding in him, that I cannot help but share. So God has been challenging me, especially in this last couple months. In June, I had a chance to go to a pride event and speak to a witch who ran a store for all, all the paraphernalia that they sell. And I got to speak with a couple of the vendors there. And it, it, that was just way outside of who I am and who I associate with. But uh, doing laps around, you know, doing my prayer walking and proclaiming the kingdom and an open, open invitation to speak with this witch. And then the uh, last couple weeks in July, just a, a heart to go see the homeless. I'm in real estate, and I'm often driving around uh, different neighborhoods looking for properties. And I've just noticed more and more homeless, you know, on empty vacant lots or squatting in uh, vacant houses. So I don't know if they're immigrants from other places or they've just always been around. But I've seen more and more of them. And God said, you know, put together some uh, blessing packets for them and go downtown. So uh, God is just opening doors when I'm just uh, in his presence. And he, he says, go share. Go share. Uh, this is not for you to keep. It's for you to share. Right? I once uh, heard of some great advice that says, don't worry about other people filling their cup. Just make sure yours is empty. That you're constantly pouring out. I'm not worried that <laughs> your, your walk is perfect or that uh, you're doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing. Uh, I want to be just so consumed with, with him that that doesn't matter. I want to show his love so that I'm spilled out, and I've got to go back for more. And i got to keep uh, pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. 
no matter if it's a, a dry soil or it's, it's actually received. So there's, there's been several ways that the church has been in its own way for Caruso. Uh, for one, that the gospel has not been kingdom-focused, as I mentioned. We've been so concerned with inscripting new registrations for heaven. Uh, really good in fire insurance. In fact, uh, some of us may have even gone through classes of uh, evangelism that use questions like, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? So we make it heaven or hell related in your decision. So it's more akin to multi-level marketing Amway. You're trying to get somebody signed up. And and if incomplete theology wasn't enough, the, the church has relied heavily on discipleship from the pulpit. Right? And I know I'm, I may be stepping on some toes. And I'm not against the pulpit, obviously. <laughs> but I guarantee a discipleship from the pulpit, it just takes too long. And it's not the mandate that Jesus gave us. Uh, and we have so often thought that discipleship meant bringing somebody to church so that they could listen to somebody from the pulpit. Well, that, that takes too long, for one thing. And, and for the other thing, that goes against what Jesus commanded us to do. He said, as you're going, not as you're staying. As you're going, you're making disciples. <clears throat> and if that's not enough, <laughs> we've, we've often had a ready-fire-aim approach to evangelism that's easily associated with proselytizing. Here's what I mean. Uh, you can go ahead and put up the first one there. The most common way we do this is called the standard solution strategy. <clears throat> so the standard solution are those Romans Road, four spiritual laws type of thing, where we use this packaged evangelism with every single person that we meet. And that's our first conversation with them. It's a standard solution that says this one package or this one presentation is the one I use in every circumstance. The second one, you can show that one, is called the in-the-way strategy. And although it sounds good, it has its flaws as well. It basically says that our proclamation is led by the Holy Spirit with no planning or method. So what's the problem with this? Well, there's at least a couple examples in the Word where the speaker used what is sometimes called a redemptive bridge from the audience culture that proved to be a, a special significance to reach into their life. So knowing something about the person was very useful, not just some, some of this holy gully, whatever the spirit wants to do. In fact, that most likely will motivate you to stay home if you think the Holy Spirit's going to do it all. All right, the third way is, is called the unique Solution strategy. Believing our encounters in evangelism or in this first phase of discipleship are unique in every situation. I think uh, how we got to the standard solution may have had its uh, motivation in the parable of the sower. We remember in the parable of the, of the sower, there were many kinds of soils that did not produce fruit, and only one that did. But I don't think the motivation for Jesus teaching this parable was to say, in some cynical, uh, apathetic way, we just need to spread seed and hope for the best. Right? Um, let me explain it this way. Jesus was giving the, the outcome, the result of why his word and his testimony and his life here was not received among Pharisees, among different audiences that he was around. This parable exposed, it was almost apocryphal in that it revealed the hearts of that generation where he was 
uh, among. As he was going around, there was hardened hearts. There, the, the, the word was choked out by their own beliefs, their own systems, and all the. And by no means was this a prescription for us that we should just scatter seed wherever and not care about the results. <clears throat> I, think, I think the first step in becoming charismatic people is having the eyes of a farmer. And I love the fact that last week it was brought up about the good ground. <laughs> the good ground and preparing the ground and that the truth, the truth of the word, the truth of the very words of the Father have this role in preparing us. Because believe me, we, we never stop preparing our ground. Even us who have been believers for years and years, we still need to prepare our ground. How much more the person that has never received the seed? Do you think they're automatically going to be ready to receive the seed? No. Their ground needs to be prepared. So this parable of the sower, don't use that as a prescription for evangelism. It was a description of what Jesus was facing in his generation. Okay? Okay. <clears throat> I love this verse from Hosea 10, 12. Got that on the screen, Noah? Sow for yourself righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. See, when John the Baptist came and he said, prepare the way. Repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. It's among you. That's, that's what preparing your ground looks like. It's taking those tines, you know, of the plow, which is representative of the truth of the gospel and the, the tremendous purpose and destiny that the Father who created them has for them begins to reach into that hardened, hard-packed soil and begin to till up. Everything that has become hardened through sin. Yeah? And it begins to make a place where the seed can come. I don't know. Everyone has come to Christ in different ways. But I know the Holy Spirit was primary in that role of preparing you to receive it. I'm not a Calvinist who says that you were pre-chosen for that. But I do believe that the Holy Spirit is working in all of us. There is a power and a grace that's operating among every single person on this planet right now. And when you combine that with the words of Christ and our testimony, that becomes a powerful tool to prepare their soil to receive the seed. How many believe it was for everyone to receive? Yes. yes. Huh? It's for everyone? Yes. <clears throat> and, and so we look at those that reject it and... And, and those that have very hard ground, you can assume, oh, well, well they're not good ground. I'm just going to go somewhere else where it's a little softer, you know. <clears throat> All I need is a little scratch, put the seed down there, and good to go. <clears throat> that, that's not what we're about as a charismatic people. It's about preparing. It's about announcing that, you know, through this process called repentance, which is basically a change in perspective, a change of how God sees you. That's what repentance is. It's not the religious sense of penance. Repentance is, is focusing our mind where it needs to be focused. Having that view, that high view that God has of our life. That's what we're bringing into focus. <clears throat> John six forty four. No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. But then a few chapters later, he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw. How many? All men. <clears throat> so that's pretty clear to me. You realize we can be used every day to be led by the Holy Spirit to speak words of life and encouragement that will plant a seed that will ultimately lead that person to Christ. Uh, go back to that overview of discipleship. It was like the second slide. 
I, I used to think that unless I was doing all three phases of this with a person, I wasn't doing discipleship. And it was years later God revealed to me, all you have to do is a small slice of this. Whatever he's telling you to do in that Kairos moment, in that encounter that you have with that person, you are doing discipleship. So don't guilt your trip, guilt trip yourself for saying, well, I didn't take him from win to establish, or I didn't take him from establish to train. No, you do that piece wherever the ground is ready for, right? Uh, water it if it needs to be watered. Uh, in fact, this is what it means to be priestly, the priesthood. I almost entitled this after the order of Melchizedek. Because I, I want to tie this into our priesthood uh, as well. This is a priestly activity. When we say we're charismatic, we're also saying we're being priestly. <laughs> because we're standing in the gap for our community. And we're not only doing this uh, through prayer and intercession, but through our proclamation. But in those encounters that we have with people that are very different from me. <laughs> whether it's a pagan witch or some homeless person that I'm dealing with, uh, my goal for them is not to go through all three phases of discipleship. My goal is to hear the Holy Spirit and be pneumatic in that moment to, to give them what the Father wants to show them. And because I have experienced so much of him, I want to give that to them. And I want to make sure that they feel the love of the Father. That's, that's pr my primary goal for their life. So uh, down further, I've got a few of the things that we do early in discipleship in the soil preparation. We're observing their felt needs. We're observing emotional hurts. We're discerning demonic influence. We're discerning human influence. You know, people in the family can be a draw back and a hindrance from people coming to Christ. So as priests, we're discerning that. We're discerning spiritual strongholds, even their personality, how they communicate, and soul ties. We recognize subcultures, uh, subcultural influence. Uh, we, we're calling them to become a student, but you understand they're already a student? They're either a student of their subculture or even making themselves a master, but of course we know that their father is the devil. Their father is the one who's master giving them these, these lies. Their instruction comes in the form of lies. So they are a student. So we're trying to, be, to bring them into a different school. So we're recognizing the subculture influence that they have over their lives, and we're beginning to ask worldview questions. And we did a whole class on worldview. Why is that important? Because if I come in like a wrecking ball talking about their behavior, which would, many times we have done, or this standard solution, just wham, bam, believe these four spiritual laws, make a prayer, what that has done over the course of history is make just a very thin veneer of Christianity. As we say, a mile wide and an inch deep, it doesn't reach those deep worldview issues. When I say worldview issues, it's how they they see and they perceive relationship with God, right? It's much broader than that, but that's the essence of what we're trying to reach. How how they uh, think about how they process who God is to them. So before I talk about, oh, you got, man, you need to give up weed, or man, you, this witchcraft isn't helping you at all. That's not my priority. I want them to encounter the love that I've encountered. I want them to encounter the father that I've encountered, and that begin to wreck their worldview. <laughs> That's the foundation. <laughs> Here in Texas, we say, you either have a bad foundation or you will. <laughs> And your house is clay caliche soil. <clears throat> well, the, the foundation is our worldview. And you can try to shore it up and everything. But ultimately, God wants to rebuild a worldview that will hold 
all that he has in his purposes and be able to contain that temple that he's constructed you to be, to hold his anointing. So we're returning to this, this order of Melchizedek as priests. So it's interesting that I was mentioned in Genesis 14, and some think Melchizedek was a theophany of Christ, and I tend to believe that uh, because of how it describes it, but it certainly is a shadow of Christ. But then we have like four chapters in Hebrews that describes him as a king of righteousness and peace. And Hebrews makes it very clear that it precedes the order of the Levites, and it supersedes it. So what Christ has done is brought this kingdom of king and priests that preceded Abraham, preceded the Levites, and reenacted it in our time and brought all people into that order that uh, believe and follow him by faith. We have become that. You know, and it describes him in the first chapter of Revelation as someone dressed like a king, but also acting priestly. Uh, and that's who we be- become. So I, I just speak the clothes and the crown as kings, uh, even if you're female, you're kings uh, before the throne, but also that breastplate and the anointing that you carry as priests over you today because that's who we are and what we're establishing is that kingdom of righteousness and peace wherever we go that same righteousness that supersedes the Levitical uh, law it accomplished what the Levitical law could not so one example I want to give is Peter in the house of Cornelius and we know uh, from Matthew, or from Acts chapter 10, that Peter had this revelation that I've got this God-fearing Gentile that I want you to speak with. And of course, that was somebody who was off his radar. And at that point, he had not been revealed that this was part of God's plan to bring into this kingdom of priests Gentiles as well. And Cornelius, he doesn't go to church. He's, he's with other believers. And if he goes to the synagogue, he must go to this designated place called the place for the Gentiles, or the court of the Gentiles. And he's a, he's a good person. He's outwardly, he's practiced many traditions the Jews practice. And most likely, he and his family were proselytized by Judaizers. So they told him to come to a gospel that was about fixing his behavior, right? But there was something in Cornelius, this draw of the Holy Spirit was saying, this isn't it. All of this practicing, there's got to be something more. And God saw his heart and revealed to him, I've got somebody on the way who's going to reveal this to that is going to kind of unpack what the gospel really means. And he does this in such a supernatural way. He orchestrated this meeting with Peter. And listen to what he says. Um, let's just start in verse 25 of Acts 10. Peter enters the house. Cornelius met him, fell at his feet in reverence. And Peter made him get up, stand up. I am only a man myself. Then talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Hallelujah. See what influence can do? You can not only reach one, start to reach a whole family or a subculture as you begin to emanate that Holy Spirit around you. He said to him, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Then Cornelius shares the vision that he had with Peter as coming. And Peter preaches to the, the gathering of the people this gospel message. Peter began with, I now realize how true it is 
that God does not show favoritism. Did he start with the behavior issues that were lacking? So this was very different than what he received from the proselytizers. He said, but he accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. So already he's just laying a foundation of who God is, what he, uh, what he expects, and how he treats us. And then he says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel. So he's backing up and giving them a little history. Telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. It wasn't good news of a new system of rules. It wasn't a good news of practices. You follow these ten steps and you'll surely be pleasing to God. He said, a peace. Well, that sounds kind of Melchizedek <laughs> right there. The uh, kingdom of righteousness and peace. The good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of us all. You know what happened through Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. I'm just... I tickled every time I read this. Uh, Peter got it. Peter got it. This is the type of hope that we're bringing. This overflow that we're bringing is that I'm here not just to say there is good news in some prepackaged form. I'm here to tell you about life. A new way of doing life and approaching life and seeing life, experiencing life in every way. Because this man named Jesus came and he was healing everybody. He, he was casting out the power of the devil. You know, we witnessed it with our own eyes. This is what it means to testify. I saw it. I saw the enemy fleeing. I saw the lame walking. I saw the blind seeing. That's, that's what testimony is. And I'll skip down to 43. All the prophets test about, uh, testify about him. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So we, we notice a few things. That he says God is sovereign all over all people. That the nature of God is what is acceptable, acceptable to him. And that the redemptive mission of God that was passed on through the nation of Israel. Evident in the power of God and displayed through the person of Jesus Christ. So I I wouldn't expect that we have these encounters on a regular basis. But I just want to take note of how the gospel began to impact, even from our own scriptures. It's it's not these prepackaged ways that we've created in our evangelical system. He's called us to be a charismatic people. And I I wanted to also share Paul in Athens, but for time's sake, I'm going to wrap it up with this. But uh, lately in the news, especially a couple months ago, there was a church here in North Texas that began attending church councils and calling for the execution of homosexuals. You know, and from their pulpit were spewing all these kinds of hateful things, applying Levitical law and all these things to our modern context. Well, I can tell you with all certainty, that is not who we have been called to be. We have called, are called to be charismatic in the sense that the love of God exudes from us, and we desire that in every darkest corner they experience who the Father is. And the, and the loving, transformational power of the gospel through our lives and example. That's what the kingdom has come to do. And it's great that we come on Sunday morning and we experience him. But let this sink in. Let's meditate on it. Am I being a proclaimer? Am I letting it ooze from me? <laughs> My dad would often say, you know, if you're a dry sponge, you don't have anything to give. 
But if you're a wet sponge, you do no good if you're not squeezing it out. So let's get soaked. Yes, I'm all for it. But once you get soaked, let's squeeze some out. You know, <laughs> let's be so saturated, you're, you're starting to drip. You know, you can't carry that thing across the kitchen floor, right? It's going to drip everywhere. So let's be those saturated sponges. Um, I just praise the Lord for all that he's revealing us to in this time that we're about a kingdom. We're about a kingdom that's going to transform our communities. And, and we're, we're seeing the, the king rise up in his church and take their place. This was said back in 1989 at a conference of churches called the Manila Manifest. It says, the gospel is the good news of salvation that God has provided for man to free him from the power of evil. It is at the same time the announcement of the eternal kingdom and his final victory over all that opposes his purposes. In his love, God proposed to make this salvation effective before the creation of the world, and he fulfilled his plan through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ in whom is victory from sin, death, and judgment. This Christ frees us and unites us by incorporating us into the community of the redeemed in him. Hallelujah. Why don't we just stand together? I just want to pray into this cry to become a people of proclamation. And if you haven't experienced this kind of love that we're talking about, that love that redefines you, come see one of us, and we'd be glad to talk to you about that. But Father, we just, we just honor you this morning. Father, every time we look into your face, we're just in awe of who you are. And that, that kind of goodness that has reached down in each one of us, Each time we were not even interested in you, not even thinking about you. We were following our own way and our own plan. We were a student of a different master. You were faithful. Your love was faithful to call us into yourself, to follow in the footsteps of a different master to call him a friend, to call him Father forever and ever, to be called into a purpose, a destiny, to rule and reign with you, to be called into the oneness of Christ. And Father, we were just asking you again, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would prepare our ground, prepare our hearts, Lord, to receive all that you have for us today, that we make ourselves available to you, Lord, to receive your word, to receive your spirit, to receive your empowerment, Father, but it wouldn't stop. It wouldn't stop there. Every word that comes out of our mouth is words of life. It's words of encouragement, Lord. And you give us eyes to see the, the, the least of these. You give us eyes to see those that are being drawn by you, Lord. You, see, you give us eyes to see, like a farmer, that soil that needs tending, Father, that you would give us the tools that we need as you equip us in this mandate. Lord, you empower us with wisdom, with insight, with prophetic words to begin to transform our community. So, Lord, we just, we just pray for that renewed anointing among us, Father. We, we, we were included in this plan to see that the ends of the earth knew of the glory of God. So we say these mouths are yours, Lord. We say these tongues are yours, Father. We say these, this heart is yours. These thoughts are yours, Father. And may they become conduits of your grace, of your love. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, 
you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com slash give.